Welcome, everyone. This is View from the Rafters. Today, we're bringing in a man who hails from basketball country. Life is funny. Okay. Oh, good one. Don't go there. Not yet. What will we talk about in our podcast? The Bus One Boys. This is a crazy story. Not that actor is a basketball player. The crazy thing to me is like where you came from. Yeah, we're all older than we think we are. Always go bleed green, baby. All right, we're back for another episode of View from the Rafters behind the scenes with the Boston Celtics. Mark D'Amico here with Abby Chin. Today's episode is really all about figuring out what it's like to kind of toe that line uh, and find your way in the NBA, experiencing time in the G League, uh, and really the challenges that come along with that, Abby. Fortunately, we have a man who can talk to us about all of that right now. It's Luke Cornett. We're going to start out talking to you about that in a minute, though. But first, I want to talk to you about this season. I mean, it's been a lot of fun to watch you guys. From what I've seen and heard, a lot of people have said that this has been their favorite locker room that they've ever been a part of. Can you kind of just tell us and take us inside and what's it been like from a camaraderie perspective? Uh, yeah, I think it's been terrific. I mean, honestly, love the whole group, everyone in the locker room. Uh, it is a pretty rare thing, I think, to like have, especially in the NBA. And um, I don't know, I feel like it's like the perfect storm of a lot of things, but just like a lot of guys just wanting and willing to buy in. And um, I think something cool is just like also so many guys back from last year, I think we're like kind of just even brought closer in that, but also uh, I'm from top to bottom in the organization. I think we're very like um, both accepting of people, but then also like we have a goal that we want to get to. And so it's like, how does everyone fit in? And everyone uh, I think that they bring in is very like willing and able to buy into that. I mean, I, yeah, it's definitely special relationships that um, don't come along very often. And like, I think uh, it's awesome to hear like whenever anyone's kind of talking about it because um, I think it is like true and I really do appreciate like everyone here and uh, we've got a, a great group of guys and it makes it even more fun to play on the court with them. Speaking of fun, Blake told us about the bus one boys. Yes. <laughs> it's, it has caused fanfare online. They're like, because mm. he threw it out there that there yeah. might be some merch. I was going to say, we're waiting for the merch and, and the logo. Song. Yeah. Oh, you have a theme song. Oh, there's a, there's a theme song I now? crafted it in about 10 minutes on the bus on the way to a game. Would you like to share? Well, uh, no, we're here that's for not it. a question. You have to share. Uh, we'll say it's a, uh, we're going to have to pay a little bit of uh, royalties off to Billy Joel from Uptown <laughs> okay. Girl. Yeah. Because it's taking Uptown Girl. It's bus, bus one, one boys. boys. And then there's a couple stands. I think it's going to, it's a little bit less exactly our group and more about bus one boys throughout the NBA. And the, the weird experiences that you go to when you arrive at the arena at 3 o'clock for a 7.30 game. That's not exactly accurate, but it was hyperbole, and that's a literary device. Okay, I want to hear about the experiences. <laughs> and we started with Luke Cornett. <laughs> but first, I want to hear about that group. And, and you talk about the special camaraderie in this locker room. How special is that group in particular? Uh, yeah, it's great. I, it is kind of funny because I don't know if I've ever been on a group where, like, when we're coming on the bus to go to the game, like we're talking like basically the entire ride or like all bus rides in general, which Usually like generally quiet. it's pretty quiet yeah. and everyone's got headphones yeah. on and stuff like that. But it's, yeah. So yeah, me, Blake, Peyton, Sam. It was Justin Jackson. Yeah, Jay Jack was a big part and no, or a big part of it. But um, yeah, the first, the first part about it that makes it such a strong identity is there's like significant and intense shaming if you're ever not on bus one. Oh. So it's definitely like, yeah. like it's all happy and positive vibes, but there's deep, deep fear underlying all of it of being ostracized from the group. <laughs> and I feel like it's that fear that really makes uh, the best of us all come it out. It brings you together. It's a great lesson for aspiring coaches out there. What is yeah. the strangest thing that's happened to you arriving at an arena four hours before tip? 
well, it's a lot of time together too. Like just that group. Yeah. Um, and this is he shout out Jay Jack. I think just like the process of like when you're like warming up and going to work out like three and a half hours before the game, like and you get like great, nice and loose, and then you just sit for like two and a half hours. Gotta do it again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then also that like every single uh, halftime timeout anthem all those things get rehearsed like every single time and you're trying to shoot and there's like the anthem and the lights are going out <laughs> the and dancers, running, are, sometimes yeah, the dancers are like encroaching on the three-point line <laughs> and here's like this is like my 15 minutes if i could just really have my 15 minutes but to focus that's a part of the bus one. yeah you gotta you gotta release control yeah for sure do you think that fear that you talked about is the mm-hmm. reason why blake actually came to the bus in la from his house and didn't go directly assuredly to- <laughs> yeah it definitely i think because there might have been one time i don't know if it was him or if it, i think it might have been Noah early on where i think because someone was out that night he had a later shooting time because that happens sometimes mm-hmm. and if you, you don't formally issue the, like right. hey i'm not going to be on bus one is that like on a thread bus one uh, boys yeah thread? yeah the group chat. yeah we got to Oh gosh, yeah. that's a whole other. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. I think that was a part of it because, like, once someone doesn't mention it, then uh, there's a whole coming back, like a not what am I trying to bring them back in kind of process. We don't just accept you back wholeheartedly. It is uh, you have to work you have for to earn it. it. Yes, you earn love in bus one for sure. All right, so moving on from bus one to the topic at hand today. Um, Obviously, we all know there's some players like Jason Tatum who, you know, they're in the league and they know they're going to be there forever until they choose not to, all health permitted. Then there's other people who kind of have to walk that line and really, like, work their way every single day, potentially through the G League, potentially through two two ways, um, and potentially maybe on that, like, 14th, 15th roster spot. You've had to experience that. What is it like to walk that line, uh, both from a personal perspective and then also all of your family who's involved in that as well? Yeah, yeah, that's uh, yeah, it's weird because you don't really know like any other experience, I guess, than your own. Um, but it is difficult because, like, especially like the ups and or ebbs and flows of it, and uh, like there's times where you feel like it's just only going to be up and up and up, and then when it does, kind of. Uh, go down and like really having to I think you just really have to like assess and understand and realize like why it is that you're doing this and choosing it and playing basketball and like whether especially like for family and stuff like that when um they're a lot less like secure type of positions that you're often Mm -hmm. like putting yourself into Mm -hmm. whether it's like trying to make the team in training camp or going to the G League or whatever that might be um I think you have to like face that a whole a lot like in a much deeper way which it's it's definitely difficult and i think like especially on the family side of things it's hard and actually this is something that me and justin talked about quite a bit but it's like uh you really have to like answer those questions and face those questions because when you might be going somewhere where it's like all right i can maybe be here for like a month but then i might get waived but then hopefully i make it but i'm not really sure and so it's like do we even move up here are we staying far apart especially as you start having like a family and children and stuff like that um it's definitely uh like yeah you said to face those decisions and really like choose it but i think something that's great about it is that like you do have to face those reasons and like find out why you are choosing to do this and hopefully you don't just like keep kind of just like oh no matter what it takes i'm gonna be doing this kind of thing it's like why is it that i'm really trying to play basketball and where am i trying to play basketball and like what can i what do i want to provide and what can i like bring and like 
all those types of things are like questions I think that like you're sort of faced with, which then if I think you do, um, eventually can like make your way. I think you're a lot more confident in yourself as like a person, as a player, because, uh, you know, it is like why you're there and what you bring. And, um, I, I, it's funny. It definitely like looks like it definitely is adversity and challenges and like suffering in that. But I think like it is a very purifying thing to undergo and, uh, probably a weird experience for like a lot of guys. And that's even like the same thing of like guys who, think they could be stars but end up having to be like role players mm -hmm. and like there's they, different they, yeah there's to different it, yeah. tiers to that like all throughout the league um and i think that's something that like in being in maine last year i think i was so like going through that year was like i know why i'm playing basketball and uh what it is that like i want my like life and career to look like that when i was able to be here in boston it's like all that stuff stays the same and you're, you're a lot more like rock solid i think in like who you are uh, as like a player and teammate and all that kind of thing. Because in reality, you were built for this, right, Luke? I mean, going through your experiences with basketball, coming out of high school, I read zero D1 scholarship offers, and you had to bet on yourself playing in an AAU tournament in the summer before you got the scholarship offer from Vanderbilt, and then coming out of college, going undrafted. And how has that prepared you for this? Uh, yeah, that's like kind of another part of it. That like... I, it's like honestly a, a blessing I now look at it because like I never had it I never felt like oh I have like expectations on myself really <laughs> like like when I was playing in high school it was just like playing to have fun and my my sister who's older was like an all-american and recruited since she was like in eighth grade and all that kind of stuff and I like didn't have any of that but it was just like kind of playing for fun and then like yeah kind of that whole scholarship to Vanderbilt thing ended up happening which was like a school I wanted to go to my parents had gone to and it just like yeah, praise God, like, he just, like, laid it out, um, but I, like, I don't know, every step of the way, it was kind of just, like, oh, you're still playing basketball, and hopefully I can keep doing it, and it wasn't until college, just, like, okay, maybe I could be a professional, but who really knows, and I deal with injuries in college, and, like, the two-way kind of a thing, and so I felt like the whole time, it was just, like, I was pretty fortunate to feel like I was always playing basketball just to be, like, playing basketball, mm -hmm. and, like, sort of very, like, purity of the game kind of a way, because I never really like expected or thought or knew or it wasn't, I was like so late developing that like, it fortunately just kind of like happened as I was playing basketball and not like there was ever any like pressure or feeling that I should be this or that. Um, and yeah, I do think it's helped me so much and be able to realize that and also be able to just like empathize with guys who were in the same position as me who kind of like didn't have the chance, but then also the guys who were from the time they're 13 they're like oh you're the next whatever the and like the pressure that that is for kids and um i think just being able to like take every teammate just like as a completely unique situation and just like the person that they are uh because like my own experience has taught me and it's like if i wasn't seven two and i was like six seven i would not be in the nba and like all of us have been also like given like incredible blessings to even like have the opportunity to do it and i think it's only in like realizing how much we've just been like given that we're fortunate of as well that like then you can be like oh i do like work hard and i like it's like true confidence you know versus right. like i don't know just thinking that all this stuff should just happen because like it's supposed to happen or something like that i gotta tell you from my perspective i'm like 
my whole life, I'm like, if, if I wasn't 5'10", 5'11", and I was 7'2", I would be in the NBA. So I'm yeah. at the opposite of that spectrum. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's no, never it, crossed my mind. Everyone would be able to windmill and, and oh, dunk crazy no if they were my height. There's no like, doubt you don't know the effect that long levers have on your athleticism. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just making up words at this point. Uh, yeah. But <laughs> an interesting thing that you, you do that often. Um, oh, yeah. An interesting thing that you said during during that answer was that you were kind of playing for fun and then at some point it changed where I feel like the mo- the majority of NBA players are the opposite where they're like their whole lives they're like I want to be a pro I want to be a pro and then like that's yeah. what their motivation is at what point did that change for you uh yeah the first time I think was after my freshman year of college because I was like still developing and growing and I was like I just had started to get like a little bit like stronger and more coordinated stuff and I was definitely a thought then and then like by the time after my sophomore year um I thought like oh yeah I really think I could play and then it was interesting that summer I ended up like breaking my foot which is like one of those things where I was like oh well this is like all ruined but I think at the time was probably almost like in a way probably like a lot of like protecting my it ended up like protecting myself from like starting to sort of get ahead of myself of like feeling like uh I don't know I probably wasn't really ready for it honestly at that time um and so that it was like kind of like through that college time period, but like it's amazing just like even like once you're in the NBA or I was a two way and all that kind of stuff, it's like, all right, well, even once like you're playing games, it's like, well, we're not even in the playoffs. And it's like, you want to play in like a playoff team and like aspire for a championship. And it's like, what role do you play on that team? Yeah. Could you play a role on that team kind of a thing? Uh, is always kind of some, like a question that's sort of lingering. So like almost like every step of the way, it's like, you kind of know what you're capable of, but you also like want to sort of know what is the limit of that or like how far can you keep going? And um, yeah, just kind of live out your life. Yeah. Another fortunate thing that happened for you is you came into the league the first year there was a two-way contract yeah. signing with the New York Knicks. You're the Knicks' very first two-way contract player. Yeah, history um, right there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but forever in the history Neil Armstrong that just, will live yeah. forever. A storied franchise. <laughs> um, but can you kind of take us through the G League grind? Because it's different. How is it different from the NBA when you're traveling, what you're going through, what you're experiencing? Uh, yeah, the G League is a lot different. I think, like, once again, I think I was pretty fortunate. And our team that we had in Westchester, shout out Westchester Knicks 2017 Olive. 18, great group. Uh, like, we had a lot of guys who were first year rookies, which was like one part of it. But then we also had Trey Burke on the team who yeah. had spent yeah. time in Utah and then was like out and playing in the G League. So you kind of like, a part of both sides. Um, yeah, a lot less luxurious, uh, a lot more, all right, Holiday Inn and Suites here in Canton. What's the restaurant proximity? Because it's like you're just hoping that there's like two places that are somewhat decent that like are less than a mile walk in the snow. And those are like, f- but it's kind of all fun. Like, like I think coming out of college, it was like you're a little bit more ready for that. But then yeah. coming back when I was in Maine, it is like a very different place that you're kind of at when you've, been in the NBA for a little bit and especially like family and all those kinds of things where, um, yeah, it it definitely has its own challenges and like, and it's a weird thing where like, I feel like everyone is trying to play to like get to the next level, which is a pretty unique part about it. Cause like, you don't really have, there's might be people in college that are like that, but like generally it's not like that or in the NBA and stuff. But, um, I think that aspect of it is probably the most challenging cause especially for myself and how it was like, Oh no, there's always like the certain way that we're trying to play. But then you have guys who are like strictly trying to play for that um, and trying to build a culture of like, 
like I don't know I just have a strong belief like whatever it takes to win is going to be kind of like the best idea for you to do even if you're trying to be mm -hmm. in the NBA kind of right. thing impact um, winner yeah. yeah exactly and so I think that is probably like at least for me probably the hardest part about it was like um trying to handle that and just like I feel like you can have peace with yourself pretty easily if like you're actually really trying to win and like trying to do the best you can and like living with that result but then it does get to like February March and if guys haven't gotten called up like there's like pressure that people are feeling and right um really hard to play a role that you've been given yeah and yeah even if you are starring in that role it may not be showcasing what you want to showcase to exactly. other teams yeah it's uh but that's like i mean that's like the difficult thing about like everyone's career in general because like generally everyone here has been the best player or like mm -hmm. among that um on their teams grow like throughout life and so like trying to find out what your role and career and how you fit in it kind of makes you have to answer the question of like oh do i really want to like win or do i just want to win if i get to do what i want and everyone has to kind of fill in around that yeah uh and that i think is like uh i probably like the most the biggest challenge of like going through your career professional sports in general yeah yeah it's right. like all right do you, yeah what it actually is the thing that's best for winning and do you actually like uh accept that or not which kind of goes back to your original question is what makes this team and this group with the Celtics mm -hmm. this season so yeah. special and everyone has that one mind on the mission yeah definitely and that's like I mean obviously it's been talked about a lot but we have so many guys who could have different roles in other places mm -hmm. and it's a funny thing when it's like you've got some guys who might be playing like 20 minutes or 10 minutes or zero minutes who like the next game could be playing like 30 something and be like the best player on the court <laughs> and it's like it's a complete like uh yeah like a, a gift of like a spoil of riches kind of a thing but at the same time it's like it's hard to accept that night after night mm -hmm. of like coming off the bench when you know you can start or uh starting but playing like a lesser role when you know you can play a major one but i think we do have a great like character of our group and like joe's done a great job i think of just like reinforcing it of um it's like yeah like what are we truly here for and like everyone's kind of falling under like yeah what's like the truth that makes us the best team and like we can all be accountable to that don't know if i've ever seen a team in my like 15 seasons covering the league that everyone has bought in on that and, and regardless of where they think they can be or where they think they should be everyone buying in it's it's really been impressive to watch so the credit goes to you guys though because in in the end that's an individual decision that every single person has to make yeah. to accept whatever that role is for them on this team. Yeah. And that's like a weird part. It's like, it's funny where you can be like, all right, well then how does like, yeah. How do you kind of harness that? And it's like, it both comes from like every single individual and then also from like leadership. And it's just like kind of all has to just like mesh and just like every, you kind of realize like every action you can take on any daily basis of like, whether you're like frustrated or whatever it is, it's like, all right, well, am I going to be accountable to, like, what actually helps us or am I going to, like, kind of put myself first? Um, and, like, every person has that decision every single day. And, I mean, the more we're just, like, reinforcing the team on it, it, it really is amazing because it's, like, every single person, I think, like, has a role in it and um, there's kind of no way to get around that. Uh, yeah. And they've all performed at a high level within when those asked. roles. That's, yeah. that's the craziest thing to me is you can accept it, but then to be able to perform within that, that that's a real challenge. Yeah, I, I think that's like the beauty of it. If you like truly align yourself to like, all right, what's the best for us winning? Then like, then when you have your 10 minutes of like, all right, this is my time to do my yeah. job. And like, 
yeah. of, of helping us all. And then like, also then when I have to step back and like not play at all or play less than I hope to, it's like, um, you just have to like trust that it's actually for the best of the group. And mm -hmm. if that is like your top priority, then it's a lot easier to accept than if you're kind of like looking over your shoulder, like protecting yourself mm -hmm. the whole time. Um, which that's, I do think we're like, we've been very fortunate like the type of people brought in and like our leadership is just like to help guys actually feel like safe and comfortable where it's like, we trust you. And I think that's also amazing. Like how much our coaches just like give, like trust the players and know like, uh, if we're going to go far, it's like, we have to rely on you guys and like vice versa. And, um, yeah, just works out that way. Yeah. That's the team atmosphere here with the Celtics. What about at home? And and you talked about that a little bit earlier in this journey and that you're constantly asking yourself, why am I here? Is it worth it? Is it, how do you balance that? And, and how do you make the decisions to keep going or to, um, like you said, you grew up in a basketball household. Your dad played professionally. He also eventually went on and played in Italy. How do you kind of decide what's worth it and, and what makes you keep going? Uh, yeah, that's like, I mean, honestly, at this point in life, it's like literally just like an every year decision where it's like you kind of have to assess. And then like once you have like agreed to be there, then it's like, all right, I have to like honor this commitment. But um, I think it's just like important as like, uh, husband and father it's like our job kind of being to like serve first and foremost and so it's like I like you have to be like really honest with yourself of like am I actually doing this for like the well-being of like all of us and or, or am I just doing it for myself and do I actually feel like what I'm doing here is like good I think about these things a lot but like but no but those are yeah. the questions big. that are going through yeah. everyone who's gone through that situation that's going through everyone's head yeah and it I, is when they have other people who are relying on them obviously if there's a a single 19 year old guy out there it's a little bit different yeah. but when you've got a family those thoughts are going through everyone's head yeah and I, I think I'm like also incredibly fortunate because of like my dad and my my mom and just like uh yeah my dad did play but he was retired by the time I was born and then he was like our PE teacher basketball <laughs> coach throughout life and wow. like watching us kids at home and my uh like mom was like a news anchor so was working and like I think that kind of just like example of like sacrifice and service mm -hmm. is really important. And even for him, it's like to his like parents um, and all like the sacrifices that they've made. And so that's like where you kind of do realize it's like, uh, it's kind of like the no man is an island kind of thing. It's just like, we have so many people that like, if you're alive, like there's people who's like helped you to get there and like to make you be there. And so it's like, I think at some point, especially as like a man and becoming a man and becoming a husband and father, it's like, um, am I gonna like give my life for them and for others or am I gonna like do it for myself? And it's just like, I, it's, it's definitely like difficult to actually answer. Cause there's so much also about basketball and like your career is like, oh yeah, just prioritize your career and everything's about like you and like whatever it takes for you to kind of do that. And it's like, I really don't think like at the end of that road, there'll be like actual like peace and joy. It's like, you have to be doing it for something like more than just yourself. And whether it's like just your team or like your family or like whatever that or like your parents even like whoever it is that you're doing it for i think that'll be like a much more fulfilling and strong purpose than like uh yeah just kind of like seeking it after for your own sake um yeah one last one for you before we let you go the the 21 22 season that seemed to kind of be like a crossroads for you in your career where you know you, you get traded over to the celtics in march of 2021 you sign with the celtics waived 
then a couple two ways, then you come back as an affiliate player with Maine, right? I think I have that process correctly, the, yeah. the order yeah. of which that happened. How challenging was that particular year before you signed full-time with the Celtics to make that run to the finals? Uh, yeah, that was – I feel like especially that summer before because um, I was like, yeah, coming off the year with Boston after being traded, which like, yeah, traded – that was like a really difficult experience, which is also like – it's a crazy thing getting traded, especially like, like we had just had our daughter born like two or three weeks before. Oh, man. Like, and so that was terrible. Yeah. Um, but like you're like, do I have to it, actually go? Because like a real part of getting traded and like for a lot of people in circumstances too is like a feeling of sort of being like given up on slash Rejected. it didn't work. Yeah, and yeah. that's like I think you kind of try to push it off, but I think it's like pretty real for most yeah. people. I mean, sometimes it's like, like I feel like Derek coming from San Antonio here is a little bit different, but also yeah. for even for him, it's like Hard you're moving and you're doing it. Yeah, exactly. It's like a difficult type of thing, um, and I think like. So that was hard. And then, like, coming back from off this, the year and just, like, having not had a great previous two years, and then I had, like, ankle surgery that summer. And it was like, all right, you're going through free agency. Oh, 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 nope, all right, there's no NBA opportunities at all. And it's like, all right, well, what is this going to be? Like, am I still playing? Am I playing in the G League? Am I playing, like, overseas? Like, what are we going to try to do? Um, and, like, going through that, though, I think, like, I, we chose to go to Maine and – Honestly, like a big part of that was like me and my wife talking about it. And it's like, I'm going to see how it comes like after this injury and like trying to get back and like see how that goes. Um, but like a big part of it was like, I want to treat it as like, this is the season that we're spending in Maine. And like, don't like not let it, don't or like, like serve the people there and like play for the team there. And like, you're there for that group of people. Like you're not there just to kind of get out of there. Um, and I feel like that helps so much that like eventually in February when I was, the trade deadline happened, called up, which that I was even kind of surprised by and wasn't really expecting. Um, but Earned like, it though. Yeah, it, it was, uh, but it was like special to be back. And I feel like to be even like more like affirmed in that purpose of like, I'm going to be here just for like the team and for the guys in the locker room. And like, I don't really care about anything else other than that. Mm -hmm. Uh, that then when we went on that like run to the finals, um, yeah, it was just like I, I you kind of felt like that purpose like in everyone a little bit. And I think another part of like choosing to do it on your own is you start seeing it more in other people versus like when you're kind of choosing things selfishly, you yeah. like see the other like selfish things. Um, and so I think like all that was like quite beautiful, and I was really appreciative of like uh, just everyone's like efforts. And I feel like also that group we had at the end of last year just like like me, Sam, like Jawan, Broderick, like Matt, mm -hmm. like Malik. Yeah. All, like Nick, like all those guys, like we were doing our low minute runs or doing our scout stuff. And it was like, all right, this is like what our job is to do. And we were like, we're going to do it as best as we can. And like those low minute runs were like a lot of fun and like prepping for the stuff. Like we were actually there enjoying it. Um, and I think like that was also a very like great group that we had, um, that I hope feels like properly appreciated because like now we're back into this season, but I feel like a lot of that spirit is kind of like lived on and um, of just like everyone accepting where they're at and just like knowing what you're doing is good and you could do it poorly. Like, you know, like it like actually does matter, you know, like yeah. you, you have the opportunity to like, we can come in and do this well, or we could come in and do it bad. Like, why don't we want to, we should choose to do it like for good. And um, it kind of made that year from the beginning of it, of choosing like, 
oh, no, I'm going to be here for these guys and, like, not just, like, looking one foot in, one foot out, that coming at the end of the year, it was just, like, this is all just about this team and this group yeah. that we have, and, like, there's no room really to, like, worry about, oh, like, will I be able to be back or whatever might happen? It's, like, we're just going to be here and uh, do the best we can with it. Luke, what a great way to wrap it up. Yeah, I mean, uh, awesome <laughs> well perspective. Awesome perspective yeah. for us Thank to you. hear. I'm sure the fans are really going to enjoy it. That, you know, it, it's not always easy, right? People are playing professional basketball, but there's a lot that goes along with this, especially when you're really trying to figure out what the next steps are. So we thank you for taking the time and being open and honest with us. And I really think people are going to enjoy the conversation. Oh, thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you, Luke. Luke. Yeah. Abby, I don't know if there's anyone else on the team that I'd rather talk to for 20, 25 minutes than Luke Kurna. And, so and honestly, he might be the only guy who would just sit down and talk with us for as long as we <laughs> wanted to talk to. But we ran out of time. But I bet Grant would do it. Grant might do it. Yeah, <laughs> we'll find that out later in the, in the uh, season, hopefully. Yeah. But um, yeah, Luke, just getting a ton of really perspective on the challenges that come with trying to make it, right? Like it's we think of these people like Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart who are established in the NBA. And generally speaking, life is pretty easy on those guys. They know that they're going to be in the league, but hearing from someone like Luke who has been up, then he's been down, then he's been up and down and up and down. And really like we heard it from him. There were times where he was questioning whether he should continue. Um, that, that really stood out to me as just first and foremost honesty um, but then secondly just how how challenging it can be at times for those guys that are walking that line what I took away from it was just how relatable it is for people who are pursuing their dreams mm -hmm. and that it's not always going to be easy there are going to be many bumps in the road whether it's trying to make it to the NBA or trying to be a CEO or just trying to raise a family it nothing comes easy and so it was just a, we put these athletes we put nba stars on a pedestal and we think their life is just so glamorous and easy and it's you know they're humans too and going through many of this many similar struggles that all of us are and so i just I find Luke so relatable, even though he is a guy who, like you said, he's a renaissance man. He can play the piano. <laughs> a lot of guys say he's the funniest guy in the locker room. Perfect he's score on perfect his math score. at ACT. He, he told me it was ACT. Yeah. I mean, so still. The guy's a genius. Amazing. Yes. So <laughs> Flagmatic, if you will. <laughs> but also <laughs> empathetic. And uh, it's nice to be able to relate to that kind of I don't want to say struggle because it is a struggle, but it's not in the way that I think mm -hmm. many people struggle, but um, it, the challenges and adversity that he has faced. Yeah. And the other thing that um, I thought about in the aftermath of that conversation is for him, like he went to Vanderbilt, like obviously we just talked about the ACT scores, like he's probably going to be able to jump into right. whatever, you know, a line of work that he wants if, if the basketball side doesn't work. Yeah. For some of these other guys who are towing this line and walking this line, basketball is all they know. It's all they've committed to for their entire lives. He was the opposite of that. He said that he was kind of just doing it for fun while he was, you know, preparing to go to college and whatnot. But which makes it harder that, to that's justify. What I'm saying. Yeah. Think yeah. about how hard it is for the guys who if they're towing that line and might not make it, like what is that next step in their life? And they've got to think about this on a day to day basis. I can't imagine that much weight being on my shoulders every day going to work and like, okay, like this might not work out. What the heck is next? But to me, that's the life lesson that I took from Luke is that no matter your situation, 
if you're passionate and, and you put 100% of yourself into it, usually good things come of that. Mm-hmm. And um, it's great to see that happening for him. And I think it's also something that I try to keep in mind. Well, it was interesting hearing from him on the personal side, like the player side. And now we're fortunate enough, we're going to hear about the business side from mm-hmm. the current general manager of the Maine Celtics and the former head coach of the Maine Celtics, Jarrell Christian. Uh, he's coming to sit, sit down with us right now. And I can't wait to hear what he has to say about, like, how do you handle this stuff from the executive side of, of handling these players who you know how important these decisions are, but you also have to look at it, you know, from personal perspective, but you also have to look at it from that business perspective of the Maine Celtics and the Boston Celtics really trying to accomplish goals. I'm really looking forward to that conversation. Jarrell is a guy who has experienced almost everything there is in basketball from playing at a small school, coming up through the coaching ranks in the G League, in the NBA. And so he has a really unique perspective, I think, and um, an all-encompassing perspective. So I'm excited to hear from him. Wealth of knowledge incoming from Jarrell Christian. So without further ado, let's toss it over. Here is our conversation with Jarrell Christian. All right. So we started out this episode with Luke Cornett talking about how he balanced the bouncing around between the NBA and the G League from a personal and a player perspective. Now we're bringing in the business side. We got the man who's calling all the shots for the main Celtics, Jarrell Christian. Um, Jarrell, first and foremost, thank you for joining us today. Thank Um, you for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. And secondly, um, we want to hear about the business side. Um, How do you go about making decisions and assessing players? Who's going to come in? Who's not going to come in? um, When you know that these guys' careers could be on the line based upon what decision they make. Everyone's um, ultimate goal is to get right. To yeah, the exactly. NBA. Yeah. I mean, I think the the first part um, for me is always trying to figure out if the players align with the values that we have as an organization. Um, if their their values don't align with what we believe in here in Boston, it's a red flag. Mm-hmm. I don't even look any further. Um, so it's a lot of conversations I have with the player before we bring anybody in, and a lot of conversations I have with their agent. Um, just trying to figure out what their goals are in the long term. You know, a lot of my conversations with um, especially guys who have been in the NBA before and are trying to make it back. My, my first conversation is always, you know, what is your pathway of getting back to the NBA and how can we help you? Um, and if their answer um, doesn't align with what our head coaches or our coaching staff in Maine believes that they can add value to the team, then that conversation stops right there. Um, so my biggest thing is always trying to figure out how we can get them back to the NBA um, and if what they're trying to accomplish aligns with what we want to do in Maine as well. So it's a lot of honest communication, um, a lot of hard conversations on the front end. Mm-hmm. So hopefully when things present themselves throughout the season, we've kind of already got it um, under wraps. Luke kind of touched on that, that that is a challenge of that league in that you are playing a team game, but everyone <laughs> has individual goals. And to get people to be in the right headspace to be able to align behind one mission. How much of a challenge is that? And how do you navigate that? It's very challenging, you know, and I think that's why that that first conversation is so important. Um, A lot of times those conversations are the the first conversations they're having with someone in the Celtics organization, no matter what level. Mm -hmm. Um, So you have to be intentional with what you're communicating and what you're messaging from the jump. Um, and as long as that, those messages are consistent throughout the season, those guys usually can, can navigate it. Um, but, you know, uh, Ariel Shayok, Denzel Valentine, 
Luke Cornett, Ryan Archigakino, Theo Pinson, all guys that have been in the NBA for a little bit and we went through the main Celtics organization and trying to get back to the NBA. And my conversations with most, most of those guys were, um, can you make your teammates better and can you impact winning? Those are the two ways, the quickest ways to get back to the NBA. Um, if you think you're going to come to the G League and just score 45, 50 every night, it's probably not going to be your best avenue to get back. So it's like, can you impact winning and can you make your teammates better? Um, and once we all are aligned and on the same page with that messaging, it, it's kind of easier from there. So I'm curious because you, you were the head coach of the team last year, so you've got great experience of knowing how well players buy in and if they – live up to their word and you know all these types of things i'm just curious from your perspective and what you've seen around the league not necessarily just with the celtics but how difficult is it to find guys who are willing to accept that uh, that, that the they, they need they need to they need to come in and try to impact winning yeah. And impacting winning doesn't always – it could be setting great screens. It, it could be crashing the glass. It could be being in the right place defensively. It's not always about putting up 30 points right. on 15, 20 shots. Yeah, and, I, you know, one of the um, first conversations we had um, as a team, you know, I talked to our team in Maine about how the rosters are constructed, both at the NBA level and the G League level, right? So in the NBA, 1 through 15, 1 through 17 with the two ways – um, usually 10 through 15, 10 through 17 are low-minute guys that aren't on the court in the rotation. So those guys are still being evaluated, although they're not playing in the game. Mm -hmm. right. So they're being evaluated on how professional they are, how responsive they are when their coaches you know, text them or call them. Um, are they showing up on time? Are they being a good teammate? Are they doing the right things on the bench and in the locker room? That's how they're being evaluated on top of their low-minute work after or before practice. Um, and so my, my conversation with the team in, in Maine was – um, we've only got 12 players on the roster, right? Head coach could play eight or nine. So 10, 11, and 12, that's how you're being evaluated. Mm -hmm. And it's like, can you be a star in that role? Can you be a good teammate? Can you show your, your professional? And then when you get your opportunity to be in the rotation, are you ready and are you prepared for it? Um, and so it's, it's, it's funny how those two things are so very similar because when you're not in the rotation, all you want to do is play. All you want to do is find a way to get that's to the That's what they all know, right? right? And so that's why when you see players talk about it, like everybody got to this level because they have some type of confidence and some type of chip on their shoulder, right? And so um, it's those guys that aren't necessarily in the rotation that are still coming in and being great teammates and busting their butt to get on the floor that you have the same issues in the G League, you know? And those roles in the G League are, can you be a great screener? Can you get guys open? And then if you can do that at a high level in a small um, small dose then maybe the head coaches can give you a little bit more of an opportunity but it's like you've got to be able to be a star in your role whatever that may be you know your role on the main Celtics might be um, a defender and a rebounder and uh, a corner three shot maker you know and can you do, do those things but if you go to a different team your role could change so I think that's the part that players have to really figure out what can help the team win where you are and once you're able to exceed in that then I think you give yourself the best chance do you mold those roles in Maine as if the players were here like like if, if someone was going to be like Luke yep. right for instance great screen setter and whatnot is that all he's doing do in Maine like to try yeah exactly or like for a guy that might be a three and D type of guy up here do you use him as a three and D down there or does that change yeah you know so my philosophy on that's kind of changed um I've been in coaching for a long 13, time, right? 14 years. Yeah. I've only been a GM for 
<laughs> half a season, right? So um, the lens that I look through everything is, is being on the coaching side, understanding the dynamics of a locker room, understanding the dynamics of how you get a team to be one connected group. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to your point with, you know, I was very fortunate, blessed, grateful that Remy Cofield put together the roster that he did for myself in Maine last year with Sam Hauser and Luke Cornett. Yep. Um, because everything we did in Maine was basically as if they were going to be here, right? And so it wasn't going to be, Sam, you're going to come in and take 25 threes. Yeah, bring the ball up the yeah, court. Yeah, you're not going to yeah. be in a ton of pick and roll. Um, Luke, we're going to limit some of your, your threes. You're going to just try to be a guy that can connect both sides of the offense and be a rim protector. Um, and the thing that I would do earlier in my coaching career, especially in the G League, is whether it be a two-way, we gave those guys a ton of freedom just to be the best player on that team. Mm-hmm. And then when they got an opportunity at the NBA level, they didn't necessarily know how to play exactly all for the I superstars. Yep. And so that's kind of how my mindset has, has changed is bring on other players that have aspirations of getting to the NBA that are on the cusp of making it. So then when you have, you know, Sam or Luke, those guys feel confident moving the ball and they can get guys open that can make shots. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's kind of where my philosophy has kind of shifted over the last couple of years. But to your point, Sam, our thing with him last year was, can you be a good team defender? Can you not get picked on one-on-one in isolation? Can you move your feet and not foul? Um, And offensively, can you just space the floor, keep the ball moving? Because if you're playing with Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown, you're probably not going to be in pick and roll. You're probably going to be spaced, and they're going to find you. So you have to be able to play off the ball. And same thing with Luke. Can you get other guys open for free shots? And that's Mm -hmm. exactly what he's been doing this year. And damn it, Sam can defend. Everyone keeps trying to hunt him out this year. I don't know what the numbers are, but I feel like he's done a great job staying in front of his guys. You know, he's great. The one thing that he doesn't get enough credit for, he's got great size and length, right? Mm -hmm. So he can stay. He understands angles, um, and he understands where he can send guys depending on where the help defense is so he's a very high IQ guy um, and that was something we talked about last year in Maine so huge credit to him for continuing to do it um, and to your point he's he's a better defender than people give him credit yep. for those are two very specific guys who you know what role they are going to play on a specific NBA roster what about everyone else and, and how do you kind of develop the player development plans for those guys does it how much does that align with what the team needs. Yeah, you know, I think part of the um, roster construction is being able to put those other pieces around the guys that are going to be here. You know, the two so ways for who yeah, you, so you know. for Fee or JD, right. right? Can you get a Shayok or a Valentine, guys that can come off a of pick and roll and play, right? Because if JD's doing his job and he's getting those guys open shots they got to be able to make it. And that's kind of what they're going to be able to do at the NBA level as well. Gotcha. You know, Shayok would be a guy that's going to be a backup guard, um, second side ball handler. So him being able to come off of pick and rolls and not necessarily score, but find open guys, mm-hmm. right? And so you get Shayok coming off of second side DHO, getting to the paint, now he's kicking out. And now JD is getting a set shot where he would be getting in the NBA game as well. So a lot of that is just trying to find pieces that are similar Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, maybe on a lesser level in the G League, but guys still can be able to do those things and playmate. How are the systems parallel? Are you running the exact same offensive and defensive systems in Maine that the Celtics are running in Boston? Yeah, so, you know, last year we, we tried to be um, pretty spot on both offensively and defensively. 
Um, and a huge credit to, to Brad Stevens and the rest of the front office and uh, Joe Mazzulla because those guys do a great job of keeping the two connected, right? So um, Alex Barlow is with us for training camp, mm -hmm. you know, and obviously he's been a part of the organization. Mm -hmm. Long time. You know, a long time. So he knows the ins and outs. He knows Joe Mazzulla and how he thinks, you know, pretty well. Um, so he's able to articulate everything that we're doing here, both offensively and defensively. Um, to the group in Maine. And, you know, that's essentially what we would want to get to because we want to see those guys executing our offensive systems, defensive systems. So that gives us the best chance of evaluating them for our team here in Boston. We've seen some guys, and, and Denzel is a great example, who have been in the NBA for like, you know, four or five years or whatever, and then they wind up in the G League trying to make their way back. I am so curious to know, and I know I've spoken to Denzel about this, and he just seems like a great person who's accepting and, and really wants to, he wants to take the challenge and try to get back. But I, I'm just so curious about how, how, how often does that happen where guys are like willing to embrace that as opposed to complaining or, you know, I don't know, like taking it personal or kind of caving on you know, where their career is at that juncture yeah. of being in the league and experiencing the four-star hotels and the first-class travel, and then obviously taking a step back in, in those instances it is and different. circumstances I mean, with right? the G Commercial yeah. flights. Yeah. It's, like Luke said, you got to share a room. Yeah, it's definitely different, obviously, you know, waiting at baggage claim and, right. you know, flights getting delayed, commercial yep. flights, all that stuff is, is a headache. Um, you know, and, and guys who have been in the NBA before, you know, that's part of what we talk about early on is understanding where you are. You know, you have to be where your feet are. This is where you are. You're in the G League for a reason. Use it, right? Mm -hmm. Don't try to avoid it. Don't try to duck it. Like, embrace where you are because understanding that once you get to where you actually want to get to, you're going to look back and be so grateful and thankful that you had this experience. But while you're going through it, it's tough. Nobody, yeah. nobody really, you know, someone told me this one time that nobody ever really wants to be in the G League. Coaches want to get to the NBA. Mm -hmm. Players want to get to the NBA. So how can you That's make the time that you're in the G League meaningful and the players feel and the staff feel like they're getting something out of it? And my, all, my number one answer was always double down on the development. Double down on the development of the players. Double down on the development of the staff. Make them feel like they're invested in their own development, but they're also helping one another. Because if you're trying to do it, you know, by yourself, yeah. it's going to be a long, lonely road. So it's really being able to create an environment where it's inclusive and everybody feels like they have a say in what's going on um, in the grand scope of things. The roster, though, similar to the NBA, and even more so, I feel like, in the G League, are fluid in that guys are some guys are getting the call up. Some guys are, I don't know, not... Have, moving on to a different situation, mm -hmm, yeah. I will say. Um, you told a story recently about being at the showcase in Las Vegas, and mm -hmm. you had like eight guys called up yeah. And <laughs> yeah. Then to feel the team on the floor. How do you navigate that? How challenging is that? And how do you do that? What do you even do in that situation? You uh, control what you can control, you make, right? You make lemon out of lim you make lemonade out of lemons <laughs> in that regard, you know. So it's one of those like. When you're a coach in the G League, you, you understand that your best players are probably not going to be with you for the entirety of the season. At some point, they're going to be, you know, either called up for a 10-day. Um, they're going to be up at their parent club mm -hmm. if they're two-way. So it's just you understand that small dynamic of it. The ones that really hurt are the guys that are on the, the back end of the roster or the guys that are just rotational players that want more of an opportunity to play that – 
demand a trade or want to get to a different situation um, because those pieces are so hard to find good rotation players that are willing to play, you know, 12 to 15 minutes Mm -hmm. when you're fully healthy. But then when those other players aren't there, they're into a starting role and playing 35 minutes. So those are the ones that are always a little bit more tricky um, to, to navigate. Um, but to your point, like coaches, we always knew that when you're at full strength and everybody's healthy, you better win those games. Because in a week, you're probably not going to have three or four of those. <laughs> or maybe in two days. Yeah. And the other part is you never really know what your opponent is going to have on any given day either. That's true. You know, so you don't know your opponent and they How don't do really know you. How do you game plan for that? You, you don't? You don't. You, you go over tendencies. You, you focus on yourself. You understand ways that you can get better as a team. At the end of the day, no matter if it's 1 through 12 on the team, you're going to want them to make the right rim reads. You're going to want them to play defense. Um, and you're going to want them to understand where their help is in team defense. And so it's like you double down on what you've been teaching from day one in training camp. It's so unique because, and I kind of threw this out to Luke, that like in, in minor league baseball, it's the same as MLB. It's, there's not really like the individual not so hunting. many moving pieces. Yeah, exactly. And there's not so many moving pieces. It's just totally different. It seems so unstable <laughs> down there, but like somehow these guys battle through, which leads me to the last thing that I want to talk to you about. And I think you've covered it a little bit in spurts here during this conversation, but what is it that's working here? Like the, the Boston Celtics and Maine Celtics, there's something of that connection and the way the system is being run and the culture is being built that is leading to great results like every year. I yeah. mean, we've got obviously Luke and, and Sam are now full time with the Celtics. Awesome. Congrats to them. They've, they've done a great job. But we might have that coming next year with more guys. And we had Taco Fall here was who was here for a couple of years, who was doing a great job and being a great locker room guy. And then actually made some plays out on the court for the team at, at certain times. So what is it that's working? What's in the water here in New England that is leading to the success uh, between the two franchises? Yeah, I mean, I think first and foremost, it starts with our scouting department doing a great job of identifying not just talent, but talent with high character that could potentially grow to be on the Boston Celtics in some capacity. Um, I think that's the, the biggest thing, in my opinion, um, and then obviously with the, the coaching staffs and even the staff there in Maine, um, them understanding long-term goals for not just themselves, but for the players and being able to execute that. You know, and I think those are all conversations that Brad has with Barlow, I have with Barlow and the rest of the staff. Um, and once everybody's kind of on the same page and understands what the expectations are, it makes everything just, sm- just flow smooth. And to, to Alex Barlow's credit, um, it's his first time being a head coach. You know, he's been waiting for this opportunity for yes, a while. Yes, he has. Um, and now he's got it, you know, and he's got a, a really good team, and they've been doing a great job this year. Um, but the other part is that we don't necessarily jeopardize or compromise um, the wins just to um, – basically, we don't try to just get talent just to get wins. Mm-hmm. We want to focus on the development. Right. And in order to do that, you have to have a certain character um, type of player. And so we're never going to compromise that. We're not going to bring in a low character guy that can go out and get you 50. We're going to probably try to get you the the highest character guy that we can that can fit into the grand scheme Mm -hmm. of what we're trying to accomplish here in Boston. And conversely, you would imagine that those types of people are seeing 
that that's what you're building here and that would make those types of people that would attract them to want to be a part of yeah. this all i mean i'll go one quick story tony snow is another guy that's been in the yeah. nba for yep. you know almost nine years and so he was just sitting at home working out in orlando um his agent reached out to me a couple weeks ago and said hey do you have any interest in in tony and my initial thought was no mm-hmm. not at all um, and so after the conversations continued to, to grow a little bit. Because um, you didn't want to add that element into the locker room? Yeah. I mean, I just didn't know what to expect because you never really know what to expect. Mm-hmm. These guys who have been in the NBA for years usually can come in and want to be the man. Yeah. Right. Or they want to come into a starting role or they have expectations of I'm going to get X number of shots. And I just wasn't willing to. Um, mess with what we had going on there yeah. to accommodate a player that was obviously mm-hmm. very talented. I wanted to see that group that we had continue to take the leap forward with their development and have some continuity with it. Um, and so the role that we had was basically the, the ninth spot, the ninth man. And I was like, I don't think he's going to be happy with the role that yeah. we have for him. And so my conversations with um, Tony, I was like, you know, understand this is the ninth ninth man role he's probably going to play 15 minutes a night Mm -hmm. and his answer to me was coach whatever you need me to do I'm ready (laughs) and when he says that that gives me the freedom and Barlow the freedom to coach him as hard as we need to coach him because our first conversation you committed to coming off the bench and accepting a ninth man or 15 minute Mm -hmm. role and so now things can groom and happen organically after that conversation and if you play and start and play 35 minutes in the long run like Perfect. That's mm-hmm. I'm happy for you. But understanding when you come in here, this is what it is. Yep. And so when you get guys like that, it's you know, it makes my job a lot easier. Yeah. Um, but it's also why I root for some of those guys so hard. And credit to you as well, Jarrell, for finding those people. But just to be clear about who you are, you are the Brad Stevens of the Maine Celtics, <laughs> gone from head coach to GM in a year and clearly have a great handle on everything that's going on. Thank you. I mean, I've got a a lot of great advice and Brad's always there to, you know, lend a hand or if I have any ideas I want to bounce off him, he's always open and honest and we've had a great relationship over the last couple of years. So so I'm thankful for him. Well, uh, we're thankful for you because as I said, something is working. Something is working and it's been great to hear, you know, not only from Luke, but also from you about how, what what is leading to this success and, and what really goes on and for those players who were towing that line. So, Jarrell, appreciate you coming on. Good luck the rest of the season. And um, we're looking forward to seeing what the main Celtics have to have to deliver the rest of the season. Thank you. I appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you.